When I first heard that song, I'm going to really date myself here. I'll tell you when it came out. It came out in 72. Somebody right over here said, you got to be kind of old to know that song. But it's a classic. It's Bill and Gloria Gaither. And we used to listen to it on the way to the juvenile home to minister to the teenagers there uh, twice a week uh, before I was, while I was still a teenager. And that's when I first heard it. But hey, that song is more apropos now than then. Because he lives. Amen. We can face tomorrow. So let's stand up together tonight. And as we get into the book of Revelation tonight, you're going to see, hey, because he lives. If he didn't live, where would we be? I can't even think about it. I really can't think about it. It's hard to imagine. But uh, thank God that he does live. And he lives in my heart. What about your heart? Amen. So we're delving into... Um, chapter 9, book of Revelation tonight, I want to pray that God will be with us and bless us. Father, in Jesus' name, we need the illumination of the Holy Spirit of God to be with us. And I'm asking you, Lord, in Jesus' name, may the Spirit of God open our eyes and open our ears and open our heart to, to grasp this word. And Lord, may you visit upon us a fresh uh, burden a fresh urgency to see people one to Christ in light of what we're about to see is coming on planet earth. And we pray for this, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Turn to somebody and say, Jesus is coming soon. Amen. You can be seated. God bless you. It's Robert. He comes popping in right when I think he's not going to be here. He comes in. All right. Um, now, I want to always um, uh, sort of preempt each message w with a reminder that the book of Revelation from chapters 4 all the way through 20-ish or so is about judgment. It's about the judgments of God. What are we reading about in the book of Revelation? Well, it's 21 judgments being visited on a Christ-rejecting, blasphemous, unrepentant, world. And we've got to keep in mind that this is not the first time this has happened. Now, the revelation is, and the way it's all going to go down is a first. But God sending worldwide judgment, this isn't a first. It happened in Noah's day. Every human being was taken out but eight. Hello? Sodom and Gomorrah, every human being was taken out but Lot and his family. That's it. A minority were always saved. The majority were lost. Now, that's just what the Bible shows us. Um, and you see um, judgments throughout Scripture. As I said last time, if you took all the judgment out of the Bible, you'd have a little skinny Bible. A little skinny Bible. Because we need to understand that one of the biblical themes is that God must answer sin. And it's either answered in the shed blood of his son, or you, are, you and I will answer for it. But, but, it's, but God must um, exact justice for every sin committed, because every sin committed in God's universe is a crime. It's a crime against God. So at the judgment, either you and I are going to answer for our sins, or we're going to point to the one that died on the cross for us, and say, he took my sin, and I'm covered in the blood of the lamb, all right? So that's it, and there's not going to be any other kind of person. One of those, you're either covered by the blood, or you are not. If you're not, what a fearful day that'll be. Uh, as the writer of Hebrews said, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation given to us by Christ? So, Keep that in mind, that judgment is a part of God's dealings with the planet because he is a God of holiness and justice, all right? And, um, but the good news is, and I gotta say this, on the cross, God judged Christ for all of our sins. He received the judgment for all of us. 
Now, that's a sobering thought. All of us, everything you and I ever did, ever said, ever acted out, ever thought that was sinful, he was judged for it on the cross. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. And we can never forget that and never quit talking about it from week to week. Every time we're together, we need to remember that cross. I'm so thankful for it. If you're thankful for the cross of Christ, give me an amen. Amen? But now the, 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 the world that is coming under this great tribulation judgment have by and large rejected the cross and said, I don't want it. And so God's judgment is falling. Now, thus far in the Revelation, we've observed the opening of the seven seals in chapter 6 and the first half of chapter 8. Remember, chapter 7 is an interlude between the sixth and the seventh seal. This time, and then the first four trumpets in the second half of chapter 8, the first four trumpets. So you've got the seal judgments, trumpet judgments, and the bowl judgments. 21 in all, seven apiece. All right? Now, this time we begin chapter 9 with the fifth trumpet. And folks, we're going into some stuff tonight that is going to, you're going to think, I'm talking from something I read in a science fiction novel. But I'm not. I happen to believe science fiction writers maybe borrowed from some of what God had in his word. But here's the deal. Let's, let's, let's read what we uh, begin with in chapter 9, which is the fifth trumpet is now about to blow. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet. And I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. Now, two things about this star. First, it's a star that has already fallen. It's past tense. This star that John sees is already fallen. John is not watching it fall. It's already happened. Now, the language is important here. This was written in the Greek language. And in the Greek language, star is not in the neuter gender. It, or it's not, it's in the, the masculine gender. So this is not talking about an it. The star is not an it, but it's a he. No getting away from the language. John goes on to say in Revelations 9, 1 and 2, the star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. And when he, notice, there you go, personal pronoun he, when he, the star, opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and the sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss. Now, the context strongly suggests that this is Satan himself. And I can prove it to you. The star is Satan. When we first encounter the devil in Genesis, is he not already fallen? Yeah, he's already fallen. He's already uh, a serpent. He's already been judged and damned by God. Uh, he's not the great uh, archangel Lucifer. No, he's been judged. He's already fallen. That's the first hint. But Jesus said of the devil, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. What, what is Jesus talking about? I saw Satan come under judgment when he rebelled against God. And I, I watched him fall. Now, that's, only Christ could say that because Christ was there as God, the Son. Right? Are you with me? So, I, I, I believe it's pretty well beyond dispute the star is the devil. Because he's given the key to the bottomless pit, and he opens it. Satan opens the bottomless pit. But notice, he's been allowed by God to do it. He didn't do it on his own. He's a dog on a leash. Amen? Satan does not act on his own. He's got to have permission. Um, so here in Revelation 11, verse 7, uh, or I'm jumping ahead. Let me back up just a little bit. The bottomless pit. He, he's given the key to the bottomless pit and he opens it. What's the bottomless pit? I know I don't like the sound of it. Right? Don't want to go there. Can you imagine falling and never landing? The bottomless pit, according to the Bible, is the abode of demons. It's where the demons dwell. 
According to Luke 8, 31, the demons kept begging Jesus not to send them where? Into the bottomless pit. Please don't send us into the bottomless pit. And notice, the demons were totally subservient to Christ. They knew this is the one that is one day going to judge us. And they're saying, please don't send us until that time comes. Don't do it to us. Because even they don't want to go there. So the abyss is the bottomless pit. And Revelations eleven seven says that Antichrist, the beast, in Revelations, we're going to see that he's the beast, also comes out of the bottomless pit. Listen to what it says. Verse 7, when they complete their testimony, it's talking about the two witnesses that we'll deal with a little bit later. When they complete their testimony, the beast, that's Antichrist, that comes up out of the bottomless pit. Where does he come from? The bottomless pit will declare war against God's two witnesses and he will conquer them and kill them. But what I'm not reading, and we're going to see later is, after three days, they rise from the dead with the whole world watching. Amen. So the the opening verse of chapter 9 presents Satan as having the key to the pit of the abyss with power to release what is confined there. So there's an abyss. You say, well, where is it? I don't know where it is. I don't know if it's just a spiritual dimension. I don't know if it's actually a physical place. I I don't know. We don't know. But it's there. And the demons dwell there. And it's a place you don't want to go. And so when Satan opens up the door to the bottomless pit, look what comes out of it. Now, here we go into some science fiction type sounding stuff, but it's not. It's only John using metaphors, using illustrations, using examples. Remember I told you, he's always going to say, it was like this, it was like that. It was as this, it was as that. That's what he's doing here. Because he's going to be saying like and as over and over again here. Now starting at verse 3. Out of the smoke, because smoke came up out of the pit, out of the smoke that came out of the pit, locusts came down upon the earth. And were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree. So don't touch the ecology. But only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Now look at verse 5. They were not given power to kill. But only to torture for five months. In the agony they suffered, that is those that received The sting of this locust creature was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it strikes a man. Anybody here ever been stung by a scorpion? Oh, man, you never forget it, do you? It burns itself in your memory. How many of you have uh, scorpion phobia now, right? Scorpophobia, because it is a very, very painful sting. So John is using metaphors, all right? Now, so as soon as... The the mouth of the awful pit is open. Thick blackness spews out uh, like black smoke of a great furnace. And this blackness fills the air. It obscures the sun. This is happening during the great tribulation period. This is the first half of the tribulation period. The first three and a half years. It obscures the sun, whatever it is. And out of the smoky blackness comes these creatures. Never before seen on earth horrible in shape, evil in character, armed with power to torment men's bodies, but not kill them. Verse 6 informs us that men will seek death and they'll not find it. They'll desire to die and death will flee from them. That's terrible. You, You choose death over what you're experiencing, but you can't die. Now, the description of the locust is bizarre. Let's read it. Verse 7. The locust looked like Horses prepare prepare for battle. All right, looked like horses. Notice the like. They were as or like horses. They had what looked like gold crowns on their heads. Their faces looked like human faces. They had hair like women's hair, but teeth like the teeth of a lion. They wore a breastplate made of iron, and their wings roared like an army of chariots rushing into battle. They had tails that stung like scorpions. For five months, they had the power to torment people. 
Now, this is some weird goings on. Come on, everybody. Huh? When is this going to happen? First three and a half years of the tribulation period. Now, is this literal? I mean, is it really locusts? No, it's not locusts. But let's look at the symbology in his description before I tell you what I think they are. Uh, here's what I believe these locusts stand for. And we draw our interpretation from what the rest of the Bible tells us about the things John compares them to. Like locusts in the Bible were dreaded. They were feared. They were unrelenting. They were destructive. They were ruinous. They would come in like a great black cloud, land on a harvest of crops, and when they lifted to fly away, nothing was left. And farmers were left to starve to death. They, these were dreaded creatures. So, so whatever it is that comes out of this black smoke will be dreaded. It'll be ruinous. Horses, they, they, they look like horses. Well, horses are strong, they're powerful, they're fearful in combat. So these creatures are strong. Crowns of gold, what does that represent? It represents authority. So they have some kind of authority. The faces of men, that can only mean they have intelligence. They have a will. They're willful. They can strategize. They can think. They're not just like somebody shooting a shotgun hoping to hit something. They're intelligent. Hair of women, I really puzzle over that one. Because they're so terrible, and now we got hair of women. And the only thing I could think is attractive, disarming. Is there something about them that arrested your attention? I don't know. You go pray about it. Whatever God tells you, come tell me. Teeth of a lion. That means they're overpowering. That means they are devouring. Uh, breastplates of iron. Indestructible. The breastplates of iron in the ancient world were considered to be the best piece of defensive equipment. This indicates they cannot be defeated, and the only defense against them is fellowship with the Lord. Otherwise, they are indestructible. Breastplates of iron. Wings that sound like chariots. Now, John didn't have cars and jets and things that, that make these tremendous roaring noises. The, the most roaring noise he could compare it to is a bunch of chariots coming towards you and the chariot wheels and the noise they make. But in other words, it's a frightening, overpowering noise they make. In the tails of scorpions, they inflict massive, painful torment. Now, he calls them locusts, but that's not what they are. These, these are clearly supernatural beings. There's no question in my mind they're demonic. Now, everybody in here does know, and those of you watching uh, at home and listening later on radio, we've we got to get to the place where, look, we can't be amongst those who say Satan is only a myth or only a, an illustration of evil. No, we're in a real spiritual warfare. And Satan is real. And the demon hordes at his disposal are real. And what we're seeing here in the book of Revelation is a hideous unleashing of demonic forces because the church is gone. Hallelujah. Unlike the former plagues that decimate the earth's ecology that we've already looked at in our last couple times together, these diabolical creatures only afflict men. They don't touch the ecology. Revelations 9-11 goes on to say, and this settles all dispute about what they are. Their king is the angel from the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon. And in Greek, Apollyon. Well, what's that? Well, Abaddon means destruction. Apollyon literally means the exterminator. What did Jesus say about the devil? He came to kill. He came to steal. He came to destroy. So who is this? Well, their king, the king of these creatures, is Satan. That's who we're dealing with. Satan is unleashing his best against this world of unrepentant people, and we're going to get a real glimpse of their unrepentance at the end of tonight's message. But just catch this now. This is an incredibly demonic attack. It's terrible. 
They are demonic creatures. They begin to wreak havoc on mankind, delivering mind-numbing pain and all kinds of woe. And as horrible as this is, it's still not over. There are two trumpets to go. Revelation 9, 12 warns, one woe is past, and behold, there come two woes more hereafter. So two more trumpets. So let's look at the sixth trumpet. Everybody say, I think I can take it. Now say with me, woe is me. Now say with me, thank God I'm saved. Let's try that again. Thank God I'm saved. Because do you see what's coming upon a Christ-rejecting world? This is not a fairy tale. This is not a fable. This is not mythology. This is not from Brothers Grimm. This is not something cooked up by a science fiction writer. This is John looking into the future by the Spirit of God and saying, this is what's coming. Sixth trumpet. As we come to the sixth trumpet in Revelation 9, we find four angels posted of all places at the Euphrates River. Verse 13, and the sixth angel sounded or blew the trumpet. And I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, loose the four angels, which are bound in the great river Euphrates. Now, I want to pause here a minute and remind you, if you've been with me the whole time, I told you that the events in Revelation are, for the most part, chronological and sequential, but sometimes they're not. And this is one example. John is going to move from seven seals to seven trumpets to seven bowls, but sometimes, every once in a while, he'll jump forward or he'll go backward in order to focus on a particular event that he's later going to revisit. Now, in chapter 9, he jumps forward and talks about the Euphrates River. But we're going to encounter the Euphrates River in a much bigger way in chapter 16. But he's jumping sort of like to give us a little foretaste of what's coming in chapter 16, a prelude to the full story that will be expanded upon later. So keep in mind that when John begins here in chapter 9, he's going to pick up on it again in, in chapters 15 and 16 regarding the Euphrates River, because a major, major, major event happens with the Euphrates River playing a major role. But now, why the angels are posted at the Euphrates is a mystery. The Euphrates River has always been a physical and a psychological boundary between east and west. Do you know that it's one of the four rivers mentioned in Genesis 2? Genesis 2 mentions four rivers. Euphrates is one of them. And it flowed through and out of the Garden of Eden. So the Euphrates is as old as creation. And it's still here. Makes you want to go jump in it, doesn't it? The Euphrates River was there. Adam looked at it. Eve looked at it. Maybe they swam in it. There we go. Now I want you to notice the Euphrates. It starts in Turkey. Now, this is today, right now. It starts in Turkey. It winds its way through Syria and where? Iraq. All the way down to Kuwait. It's huge. Look at that river. And for our radio listeners, uh, we're looking at a map. And look at this map now. This is powerful. Here, there is Iran to the east, sort of to the northeast a little bit. Below is Saudi Arabia. Um, west is Egypt. Look at it. There it is. That river is going to play a huge role in end time events. That's why you need to see it and understand a little bit about it. There it is. Again, think about it. Maybe Adam and Eve took a little bath in it. Maybe they swam around in it. Who knows? But they saw it. Is that not powerful? I don't know. That gives me Holy Ghost bumps a little bit because it's still with us. All right? It's the longest water course in Southwest Asia. The distance from its beginning to where it joins with the Tigris River um, in Iraq is 1,800 miles. 
Think about a river that long, 1,800 miles long. Little history, in ancient times, that river, leave it up there, please. In ancient times, the Euphrates Waterway provided the water that led to the first flowering of civilization in Sumer. Now, the Sumerian civilization is the oldest civilization we know anything about. And this river played a part in that civilization coming to be in ancient history. We know of no older civilization than the Sumerians. It is where writing and the wheel were first, uh, first appeared. The, the earliest writing we've got came from the Sumerians, and the wheel was discovered there. Many important ancient cities were located on or near it, including Ur of the Chaldees, where Abraham was born. This river has played a huge part in Bible history. The region around the Euphrates is known as Mesopotamia. Now watch this. Today, the use of dams on the Euphrates generates power for the entire area. Maybe that is something that will come into play. Don't know. But on that river... Right now, look at it, see it? Four angels are posted there. Right now. You see them? No, you don't see them. But they're there. Because the Bible just told us. They, they are bound there and they're waiting to be loosed in latter-day events. So they're bound there. In chapter 16, we're gonna witness a mighty angel dry it up. It's going to dry up. That huge river is going to dry up and it's going to make way for a 200 million man army to cross from the far east to take part in the battle of Armageddon. We're going to see that in chapter 16. That river is going to be dried up by these angels. Say, well, Pastor Jeff, that sounds like a myth. Hey, the Jordan dried up for the children of Israel to cross over. The Red Sea divided for the children of Israel to, to go through. God can dry this river up too. And he will. Now John leaves no doubt as to the grim mission of the four angels in chapter nine. Look what he says. You can go ahead and let it go now, guys. And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared. Now watch this, everybody. The day will come when they will be loosed, these four angels, and they are prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year to do what? To slay the third part of men. The number of the mounted troops, now here we've got an army involved. Here's an army involved. The number of the mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. John says, I heard their number. That's 200 million. When the sixth trumpet sounds, a third of human life will be destroyed, apparently by a massive army of 200 million. John specifies, I heard their number. Already a fourth of mankind has been killed in the seal judgments. So technically, the sixth trumpet will signal the death of one-third of the three-quarters of Earth's population that remains. Again, the whole world taken out in Noah's day. Whole world. We're just seeing a part of it here. Say, it sounds pretty serious to me, Pastor. Oh, it's very serious. But Noah's flood was even more catastrophic. Up to now, it's been the ecology destroyed by thirds, but now it's going to be mankind. John describes the warriors and the massive army this way. He says, I saw horses, uh, I saw the horses in the vision, and them that sat on them. They had breastplates of fire. That means the breastplates were red. And of jacinth, jacinth is dark blue. And brimstone, brimstone is earthy, kind of yellow. And the heads of the horses, that means the head dresses of the horses were as the heads of lions. And out of their mouths issued fire and smoke and brimstone. How do you make sense of that? Let's try. We can only speculate 
as to the imagery here. But, but these are much like the colors used in de desert camouflage, is it not? So that's one possible interpretation. But another interpretation of the color schemes that he saw and, 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 and just everything that he saw in this vision could be modern-day military helicopters, stay with me, equipped with nuclear weapons, which would account for fire, smoke, and brimstone issuing from their mouths. Could be. Don't know. I'm sure not going to say that's what it is. But it's a possible. And that's all we can do is speculate. Verse 18, by these three plagues, plagues of what? The fire, the smoke, and the brimstone. A third of mankind was killed. Well, what can do that? What that has fire, smoke, and brimstone can take out a third of mankind? Nuclear. But John didn't know anything about nuclear. So he's just saying, it was like this, it was like that, like this, like that. Their power is in their mouth, he says, and in their tails. For their tails were like serpents, and they had heads, and with them they do harm. So this is a first century man seeing 21st century things. And John's description could be cavalry weaponry, uh, using fiery weapons of destruction, poison gas, smoke, brimstone, which can be a description of an incredible explosive power like a nuclear bomb. And we already know, because I shared it last time, that uh, many of the countries identified by Scripture as involved in latter-day events right now possess nuclear capability to the max. And the unleashing of it on Asia alone could end in the slaughter of over a billion people. I know this is not something to jump up and shout, but this is the word of God. And God said, I'm going to bless you if you study it. Why does he want us to know these things? Because this is a downer in the natural. I don't like reading about this stuff. Why does he want us to know? Does it not put urgency in us as, as a people of God to win as many souls as we can, to get out there with the gospel, and, and to be sure that you're walking close and tight with Christ yourself? I mean, does this not, these things that we're reading, put the fear of God in you? Yeah, it should. Now we next encounter one of the most amazing and sad sights in all the word of God. This, this is a mind blower. In spite of all the calamity, all of the obvious judgments of God, all of the terror and uncertainty, men refuse to repent. Wow. Revelations 9.20. And the rest of the men, which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands. Now look what they're involved in in the last days. Give you a better idea of why judgment is falling. That they should not worship devils. They did not repent of worshiping devils and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. And they didn't repent, verse 21, of, of their murders or of their sorceries, of their fornication, nor of their thefts. We just got a little bit of a laundry list of what last day mankind is going to be involved in that has incited the wrath of God. Are y'all with me? Okay? Sin is sin is sin. And like I said, sin's got to be answered in God's universe. So here they are. They're involved in worshiping demons. They're, they're involved in Satan worship. This last day, great tribulation, world population are involved in Satan worship, idol worship, murders, witchcraft, Fornication, sexual immorality is what that means, and theft. It's really hard to imagine a world more spiritually dark than what we're reading about right here. Two, two words from John's description jumps out. Let me just look at these as we come to a close. First one is sorceries. They, they did not repent of their sorceries, witchcraft. The Greek word is pharmakia. Pharmakia, pharmacy. Pharmakia is talking about drugs. So in the last days, in, the, in the, the last generation that are trapped in this great tribulation 
and receiving all of this judgment from God, they are deeply awash in drug abuse. They didn't repent of their sorceries, of their pharmacia, of their drug abuse. I was watching. It was hard. Oh, my. You know, we're in a bubble here. Y'all realize we're in a church bubble? And in this part of the world, we're, we're really in a bubble. But more and more, our country is looking like a third world country. Let me tell you what I mean by that. I was watching, I came across it in a news feed, and it just said Philadelphia. And, and um, then it gave a date of when the filming that was on this YouTube had happened in Philadelphia. So I thought, well, what's this about? So I flicked on it. And it was about a 16-minute video of the streets of Philadelphia as a guy in a car um, just drove around filming what he saw. It was the streets of Philly. And it wasn't just some rundown bad part of Philly. Some of the, the great buildings in Philadelphia is some of the places he drove by. And all you saw was homeless people standing like this, unable to pick up their head, sitting on the curb, same position, walking around contorted, And I looked at this, and street after street, block after block, mile after mile. And I thought, why can't they pick up their heads? Because literally, they were, I, it was like looking at a zombie movie. This was not, you know, Central America. This was America. Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. And so I had to go look it up. Why are, can these people not pick up their head? It's called heroin lean. Heroin affects your respiratory system. And so that you, you got to lean down to be able to get decent breath. And you're so stupefied by the heroin, you have no energy to pick yourself up. And it was just endless, endless bodies of this. And it went on and on and on until I, I took it in and I said, Cindy, you got to see this because this is one of our major cities. And here's, here's the scary thing. You would see the same thing in San Francisco. You would see the same thing in L.A. You would see the same thing in New York City. You would see the same thing in major cities all around America. Something terrible is happening below the surface. And the news media is never going to cover it. They're not going to cover it unless they can slam people they don't like. They're never going to cover it. The news media lies to you more than they tell you the truth about anything. I'm just telling you. I'm talking about the national news media. I don't want to, because there are good people who are in journalism. I, I'm not slamming everybody, but I'm talking about the national beltway um, mainstream media. Um, they not only lie to you with what they say, they lie to you by what they don't cover. And our cities are in deep trouble. And so, you know, I, I see this pharmacia, the use of drugs, the last days uh, population of the world will be awash in drug abuse. And you look at what's already happening. And by the way, did you know that from 2020 to 2021, 79,000 Americans have died from fentanyl overdose? 79,000. And it's coming over the border which is totally unchecked. And the drug cartels are bringing it in. And it's killing people right and left. But John saw down the, the tunnel of time, and he said, I see the last generation that inhabits earth is going to be awash in drug abuse. Now, the second one is idols. Old Testament idols, as we know, uh, were made of gold, silver, brass, stone, and of wood. And it was idolatry that brought so much of the judgment of God on Judah and Israel. God hates idolatry. 
because you're worshiping something other than him. Not to mention you're worshiping a piece of wood or a piece of stone. It can't talk. It can't hear. It can't answer prayer. It can't empathize. It can't sympathize. It's wood, but you're bound down to it. All right? Now, so we tend to think of idolatry as an Old Testament thing, but it seems to have made a stunning comeback in the last days. Now, remember, an idol is anything that takes the place of God in our lives. Did you know that? Anything that takes the place of God in your life is an idol. Sex, drugs, some person, a career. These and much more can serve as idols that we worship, that we bow to, that we serve. It might interest you to know at least one half of today's world is openly given over to idolatry. Did you know that? One half of today's world. All of India, they worship figurines and little statuettes all the time. Three quarters of Africa, great pockets of South and Central America, all of Asia, including Japan, are involved in the actual worship of figurines or some part of God's creation, like the sun, the moon, the stars, nature, some animal, so on and so forth. Not to mention America. Oh, we've got our idols. Oh, look around on Super Bowl Sunday. Right? We're steeped in the worship of materialism. We worship stuff. It's all about money and what you possess. I remember, quick story, I went to India. I was there for 10 days, 10 days too long because I got sick as a dog. I lost, what did I lose? I'm trying to read, 10 to 15 pounds when I was in India. I was down at the last notch on my belt when I came home. I almost died in India. But in India, you see such abject poverty. It's unbelievable. It's just abject. I saw little children playing in mud puddles with no clothes on with a javelina hog standing right next to them. It just the culture shock made me sick. And, and when I came back, I remember getting home, turning on the TV, and there's the price is right. And Bob Barker saying, come on down. And this glut of materialism. And when, when I had been in India, it looked so weird. You don't realize how focused we are on things in America. Money, sports, you name it. Peter wrote, for a man is a slave to whatever controls him. Amen. Let's stand together, can we? Everybody say, that was heavy, Pastor. Next time, we're going to look at the end of time and the most important building in the world. Next time. Can we lift our hands to the Lord? Say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You know, church, after a message like this, can we not say to the Lord, Lord, the world is perishing without Christ can we say together, here am I, Lord. Send me. Here am I, Lord. Use me. Take Turning Point Church and use us to reach the multitudes with the only hope there is, the gospel of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Well, we got to sing before we go. We got to sing again because he lives. I feel like singing because he lives after that. So let's sing it right now, can we? Because he lives. Yes. I can face tomorrow. Yeah.
Amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise. Amen, amen, amen. All right, I'm going to venture to take one or two questions if anybody has one. Does anybody have a question? To the right. There's one, and okay, we got this one. Yes, sir. Um, in Philippians 3, I think it's 3 and 5, um, Paul gives his pedigree. You know, he was from the tribe. Mike up here. Tribe is Judah, sorry. <laughs> and he's from the tribe of Judah. He gives his lineage, so yeah, on and so forth. Right. But we don't see Saul until Acts 8 and 3, I think it is, until he is given the authority to stone Stephen. Why is that? Why didn't we see Saul prior to that? Um, I don't know. <laughs> How's that? I don't know. Really? He, he appears, it, the book of Acts is a, is a history book. Correct. Uh, it's, you know, so why the Holy Spirit did not move on Luke, who wrote it, right. to bring up Saul sooner? We only know what he tells us about himself, that right. he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, Right. That he was taught by the very best. Right. And, um, you know, he was willing to kill people to uphold Judaism. Correct. And, uh, but why he doesn't appear sooner, we don't know. Okay. I wish I had a magic answer for something more romantic than that, but I don't. Amen. All right. Who else had a question over there? Okay, so I had a question. Um, it just made me think of America. When you said, well, the Bible say, uh, so for angels who have been prepared for the hour and day and the month and the year were released to kill a third of the mankind in the Euphrates River, which is way across on the other right. side of the world, where does that leave us? Do they come here as well? Are we? It just makes me think, like, because I've had dreams that we were destroyed but i don't know if that's maybe we won't witness that because we are destroyed before any of this happens yeah so i was just asking um, that unfortunately america is not clearly in bible prophecy it's just not now the nations of the world that are are clearly id'd you can read ezekiel 38 he names a bunch of nations egypt um, wow, Iran, Iraq, Persia. Well, that's ancient Persia, but he, he names uh, Afghanistan. He names all kinds of places. Um, and other parts of the Bible, like the kings of the east that we're going to read about in Revelations a little bit later, no doubt in my mind, that's China. They are the ones that come down across the Euphrates uh, and enter into the War of Armageddon. So there's China ID. Um, Pakistan is ID'd. Russia is ID'd. And of course, Israel is God's prophetic timepiece. Um, prophecy, end time prophecy revolves around Israel. So you have all these nations clearly ID'd, but America is not clearly ID'd. So it's always been a mystery to um, prophecy scholars, Bible scholars. What becomes of America? Why isn't America one of the outstanding nations of world history? Why isn't it named? Well, either we have been, um, we have joined other, other nations and have lost sovereignty. So we have been taken in by someone else. Or we cease to become a major nation by the time these world events take place. Or we somehow are um, struck. No one knows. No one knows. Now, I got to tell you, I look at what's happening in our country now. I see the impossible debt load. I don't want to be a downer here. Please follow me. I just got to be honest. I see an impossible debt load. Trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars. It's stupid crazy anymore. You can't even add it all up. Um, the influx of drugs. Uh, the, the, the loss of our borders. 
um, the incredibly insane philosophies and worldviews that have gripped our nation increasingly. You know, if you wake up and you're a born a man, you say, I'm a woman. Nobody better dispute you. You better call me a she. And so we're being forced to pretend that someone is something they're not. We're more concerned with that than we are our security. So I look at America, and to my mind, without a revival, America's toast. I'm sorry. Now, revival can come, because if you had been in England in the 1700s before the American Revolution, uh, when the Great Awakening broke loose, when the Great Awakening broke loose, and it changed everything, you would have looked at England and said, England's toast, because it was terrible. But an incredible awakening happened, and it turned. But I tell you, apart from that, where in the world are we going? Straight off a cliff. So I wish I could say that America is in Bible prophecy. I can't. It's not there. Not clearly. Not distinctly. I can give you some theories, but that's all they are. So what do we do with that? What do we pray? What do we do with that? We take the gospel to this country. What do we do with that? We believe God for awakening. You know, I'm not ready to, I'm not going to jump ship. But I'm just saying this ship is in some trouble. You with me? Are you, now, you don't have to clap because it's not something to clap about. Uh, we're in some trouble. But that's, okay. Um, anyone else? Real quick, one more. Anyone else? Yes, sir. I have to do with this question. Okay. I've come to consider that uh, when Jesus knocked Saul off of the horse, and asked him why he persecuted him, that he was convicted him for persecuting him as he walked the streets. I need to hold that closer. He was one of the chief Pharisees that actually persecuted Jesus himself. Saul was persecuting God's people. Saul and, and Jesus said, you persecute them, you're persecuting me. And that's what happened there. Saul was killing Christians, imprisoning Christians, and wreaking havoc on the church. And that's why Christ, I believe when Stephen forgave him, it released Jesus onto him. Stephen said, Lord, don't hold, they were killing Stephen. He said, don't hold this charge against him. And Saul was there. And I believe that because Stephen prayed that way, Saul was then targeted by Christ. So, All right. Thank you. God bless all of you. Father, bless the people as we go. Thank you for your word. And give us a great week. See everybody Sunday. God bless you. Have a good one. We love you. Amen.